0: Chapter 9, Part 3 of Commentary on the Gospel of John, Book 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Commentary on the Gospel of John, Book 1, by Cyril of Alexandria. Translated by Rev. Philip Edward Pusey. 14. And the Word Was Made Flesh He has now entered openly upon the declaration of the Incarnation, for he plainly sets forth that the Only Begotten became and is called Son of Man. For this, and not else, does his saying that the Word was made flesh signify. For it is as though he said more nakedly, The Word was made man. And in thus speaking he introduces again to us, not strange or unwanted, seeing that the divine scripture oft-times calls the whole creature by the name of flesh alone, as in the prophet Joel, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And we do not suppose that the prophet says that that the divine spirit should be bestowed upon human flesh soulless and alone, for this would be by no means free from absurdity. But comprehending the whole by the part HE NAMES MAN FROM THE FLESH, FOR THUS IT WAS RIGHT AND NOT OTHERWISE, AND WHY, IT IS NEEDFUL, I SUPPOSE, TO SAY. MAN, THEN, IS A CREATURE RATIONAL, BUT COMPOSITE, OF SOUL, THAT IS, AND OF THIS PERISHABLE AND EARTHLY FLESH, AND WHEN IT HAD BEEN MADE BY GOD AND WAS BROUGHT INTO BEING, NOT HAVING OF ITS OWN NATURE IN CORRUPTION AND IMPERISHABLENESS, for these things appertain essentially to God alone, it was sealed with the spirit of life, by participation with the divinity, gaining the good that is above nature. For he breathed, it says, into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. But when he was being punished for his transgressions, then with justice hearing, Dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return, he was bared of the grace. The breath of life, that is, the spirit of him who says, I am the life, departed from the earthy body, and the creature falls into death, through the flesh alone, the soul being kept in immortality, since to the flesh too alone was it said, Dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. It needed, therefore, that that in us which was specially imperiled should with the greater zeal be restored, and by intertwining again with life that is by nature be recalled to immortality. It needed that at length the sentence, "Dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return, should be relaxed the fallen body being united ineffably to the word that quickeneth all things for it needed that becoming his flesh it should partake of the immortality that is from him for it were a thing most absurd that fire should have the power of infusing into wood the perceptible quality of its inherent power and of all but transfashioning into itself the things wherein it is by participation and that we should not fully hold that the word of god which is over all would in work in the flesh his own good that is life for this reason specially i suppose it was that the holy evangelist indicating the creature specially from the part affected says that the word of god became flesh so that we might see at once the wound and the medicine THE SICK, AND THE PHYSICIAN, THAT WHICH HAD FALLEN UNTO DEATH, AND HIM WHO RAISED IT UNTO LIFE, THAT WHICH WAS OVERCOME OF CORRUPTION, AND HIM WHO CHASED AWAY THE CORRUPTION, THAT WHICH WAS HOLDEN OF DEATH, AND HIM WHO IS SUPERIOR TO DEATH, THAT WHICH WAS BEREFT OF LIFE, AND THE GIVER OF LIFE. BUT HE SAYS NOT THAT THE WORD CAME INTO FLESH, but that it was made flesh, that you may not suppose that he came to it as in the case of the prophets, or other of the saints by participation, but did himself become actual flesh, that is, man. For so we just now said, Wherefore he is also God by nature in flesh and with flesh, as having it his own, and conceived of as being other than it, and worshipped in it, and with it, according to what is written in the prophet Isaiah. Men of stature shall come over unto thee, and they shall be thine. They shall come after thee. In chains they shall come over, and they shall fall down unto thee. They shall make supplication unto thee. For God is in thee, and there is no God beside thee. Lo, they say that God is in him, not severing the flesh from the word. And again they affirm that there is none other God save He, uniting to the word that which He bears about Him, as His very own, that is, the temple of the Virgin, for He is one Christ of both. And dwelt among us, The evangelist profitably goes over again what he has said, and brings the force of the thought to a clearer comprehension. For since he said that the word of God was made flesh, lest any out of much ignorance should imagine that he forsook his own nature, and was in truth changed into flesh, and suffered, which were impossible for the Godhead is far removed from all variableness and change into aught else as to mode of being. The divine exceeding well added straightway, and dwelt among us, that considering that the things mentioned are two, the dweller and that wherein is the dwelling, you might not suppose that he is transformed into flesh, but rather that he dwelt in flesh, using his own body, the temple that is from the Holy Virgin. For in him dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, as Paul saith. But profitably does he affirm that the word dwelt in us, unveiling to us this deep mystery also. For we were all in Christ, and the community of human nature mounteth up unto his person, since therefore was he named the last Adam giving richly to the common nature all things that belong to joy and glory, even as the first Adam, what pertained to corruption and ejection. The word then dwelled in all through one, that the one being declared the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, the dignity might come unto all the human nature, and thus because of one of us, I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High, might come to us also. Therefore in Christ verily is the bond made free, mounting up unto mystic union with him who bear the form of the servant, yet in us after the likeness of the one, because of the relation after the flesh. For why doth he take on him not the nature of angels, but the seed of Abraham? whence in all things it behoved him to be made like unto his brethren, and to become in truth man. Is it not clear to all that he descended under the condition of bondage, not himself giving thereby aught to himself, but bestowing himself on us, that we through his poverty might be rich, and soaring up through likeness to him unto his own special good, might be made gods and children of God through faith. For he who is by nature Son and God dwelt in us, wherefore in his spirit do we cry, Abba, Father? And the word dwells in one temple, taken for our sakes and of us, as in all, in order that having all in himself, he might reconcile all in one body unto the Father, as Paul saith. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Having said that the word was made flesh, that is, man, and having brought him down to brotherhood with things made and in bondage, he preserves even thus his divine dignity intact, and shows him again full of the own nature of the Father inherent to him for the divine nature has truly stability in itself not enduring to suffer change to aught else but rather always unvarying and abiding in its own endowments hence even though the evangelist says that the word was made flesh he yet affirms that it was not overcome by the infirmities of the flesh nor fell from its pristine might and glory when it clad itself in our frail and inglorious body for we saw he says his glory surpassing that of others and such as one may confess befits the only begotten son of god the father for full was he of grace and truth for if one looks at the choir of the saints and measures the things that are wondrously achieved by each one will with reason marvel and be delighted at the good things that belong to each and will surely say that they are filled with glory from god but the divines and witnesses say that they have seen the glory and grace of the only begotten not competing with that of the rest but very far surpassing it and mounting up by incomparable excellencies having no measured grace as though another gave it but perfect and true as in the perfect that is not imported nor supplied from without in the way of accession but essentially inexistent and the fruit of the father's essential property passing naturally to the son who is of him And if it seem good to any to test more largely what has been said, let him consider with himself both the deeds that are wonderfully done by each of the saints, and those of our Saviour Christ, and he will find the difference as great as we have just said. And there is this besides. They are true servants about the house, he as a son over his own house. And the divine scripture says of the only begotten, Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. But of the saints God the Father says, I have even sent unto you all my servants the prophets. And the one were recipients of the grace from above. The other, as Lord of hosts, says, If I do not the works of my Father, believe me not but if i do though ye believe not me believe my works if then the only begotten is seen by the very works to be as great in power as the father he will conformably be celebrated by equal honors as the doer of equal works and will surely as much surpass even when in the flesh those who have been called unto brotherhood as god by nature overleaps the limits of men AND THE VERY SON, THE SONS BY ADOPTION. BUT SINCE IT IS WRITTEN IN THE BLESSED LUKE, AND JESUS INCREASED IN WISDOM AND GRACE, WE MUST OBSERVE HERE THAT THE SPIRIT-CLAD SAID THAT THE SON HATH HIS GLORY FULL OF GRACE. WHITHER THEN WILL THAT WHICH IS FULL ADVANCE, OR WHAT ADDITION WILL THAT AT ALL ADMIT, BEYOND WHICH THERE IS naught? Hence he is said to increase, not in that he is word and God, but because he, ever more greatly marveled at, appeared more full of grace to those who saw him, through his achievements, the disposition of those who marveled advancing, as is more true to say, in grace, than he who is perfect as God. Be these things then spoken for profit, though they be somewhat discursive. 15. JOHN bare WITNESS OF HIM AND CRIED The most wise evangelist follows again the course of his thoughts, and makes the sequel duly correspondent to what preceded. For when he said of the Son of God, We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, that he might not appear to alone say this, The word we have seen not suiting a single person, He joins with himself his namesake witness, having one and the same piety with himself. I, then, says he, bear witness, for I have beheld what I said. And the Baptist likewise bears witness, a most weighty pair of spirit-clad, and a notable pair of men-foster-brothers, in truth and unknowing how to lie. But see how exceeding forcible he made his declaration. For he not only says that John bears witness of him, but profitably adds, and cried, taking his proof from the words, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, and this too exceeding well. For it was possible that some of the opponents might say, When did the Baptist witness to the only begotten, or to whom did he impart the things regarding him? He cried then, says he, that is, not in a corner does he utter them, not gently and in secret does he bear witness. You may hear him crying aloud more clear than a trumpet, not you alone hearing these things. Widespread into all is his speech, glorious the herald, remarkable the voice, great and not unknown the forerunner. This was he of whom I spake, HE THAT COMETH AFTER ME IS PREFERRED, HAS BECOME, BEFORE ME, FOR HE WAS BEFORE ME. HAVING NAMED THE WITNESS SAME-MINDED AND SAME-NAMED WITH HIMSELF, AND HAVING SHOWN THAT HE USED A GREAT VOICE FOR THE SERVICE OF HIS PREACHING, HE PROFITABLY ADDS THE MOTU OF HIS TESTIMONY, FOR IT IS IN THIS IN PARTICULAR THAT THE WHOLE QUESTION LIES. What then do we find the great John crying regarding the only begotten? He that cometh after me has become before me, for he was before me. Deep is the saying, and one that demands keen search into its meaning. For the obvious and received meaning is thus. As far as belongs to the time of the birth according to the flesh, the baptist preceded the saviour and Emmanuel clearly followed and came after by six whole months as the blessed luke related some suppose that john said this that it may be understood thus he that cometh after me in point of age is preferred before me but he who fixes a keener eye on the divine thoughts may see, in the first place, that this view introduces us to futile ideas, and carries us far from the needful subject of consideration. For the Holy Baptist is introduced as a witness, not in order to show that Christ was once later, than again earlier in the time of his birth, but as a co-witness of his glory, The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What meaning, then, can one give to such unseasonably introduced explanations as these? Or how can one give us any clear interpretation by understanding of time the words before us? He that cometh after me became before me. For be it laid down beyond a doubt that the Lord came after the Baptist as being second to him in time according to the flesh. How will he be also before him? I mean in time. For due order and sequence call us to this sense analogously to what preceded. But I think that it is evident to every one that this is an impossibility. For that which cometh short of anything in point of time will never have the start of its leader." Hence it is a thing utterly senseless, and altogether past belief, to imagine that the holy Baptist said of time after the flesh, He that cometh after me has become before me. But understanding it rather in accordance with the line of thought that preceded, we will believe that it was said in some such sense as this the Blessed Baptist meetly carries up his mode of speaking from a customary phrase to its spiritual import, and advances, as it were, from an image drawn from our affairs to the exposition of subtler thoughts. For that which leads is ever considered to be more glorious than those which are said to follow, and things which succeed yield the palm to those that precede them. As for example, he who is a skilled worker in brass, or carpenter, or weaver, takes the lead and has superiority over him who is conceived as following by being a learner and advancing to perfect knowledge. But when such an one has surpassed the skill of his teacher, and leaving that behind attains to something superior, I deem that he who is surpassed may not unfitly say of his outstripping pupil, He that cometh after me has become before me. Transferring then after this sort the force of our idea to our Savior Christ and the Holy Baptist, you will rightly understand it. Take now the account of each from the beginning. The Baptist was being admired by all. He was making many disciples. A great multitude of those who came for baptism was always surrounding him. Christ, albeit superior, was unknown, they knew not that he was very God. Since then he was unknown, while the Baptist was admired, he seemed, I suppose, to fall short of him. He came a little after him, who had still the higher position in honor and glory from men. But he that cometh after has become before, being shown to be greater and superior to John. For the one was at length revealed by his works to be God, the other not surpassing the measure of human nature, is found at last to have become after. Hence the blessed Baptist said darkly, He that cometh after me has become before me, instead of, He who was once behind me in honor is beheld to be more glorious, and surpasses by incomparable excellencies the measure that befits and belongs to me. Thus understanding the words, we shall find him a witness of the glory of the only begotten, and not an unseasonable setter forth of useless things. For his saying that Christ is greater than himself, who has a great reputation for holiness, what else is it than witnessing to his especial glory? for he was before me. Having said that he has become before me, he needfully adds, for he was before me, ascribing to him glory most ancient, and affirming that the precedence of all things accrued not to him in time, but is inherent in him from the beginning, as God by nature. For he was before me, says he, instead of, always and every way superior and more glorious. And by his being compared with one among things originate, the judgment against all is concentrated in behalf of him who is above all. For we do not contemplate the great and glorious dignity of the Son as consisting in this alone, that he surpassed the glory of John, but in his surpassing every originate essence. 16. And of his fullness have all we received. The evangelist in these words accepts the true testimony of the Baptist, and makes clear the proof of the superiority of our Savior, and of his possessing essentially the surpassing everything originate, both in respect of glory itself, whereof he is now more especially speaking, and of the bright catalogue of all the other good things. For most excellently, says he, and most truly does the Baptist appear to me to say of the only begotten, for he was before me, that is, far surpassing and superior. For all we too, who have been enrolled in the choir of the saints, enjoy the riches of his proper good, and the nature of man is ennobled with his rather than its own excellences when it is found to have aught that is noble. For from the fullness of the sun, as from a perennial fountain, the gift of the divine graces springing forth comes to each soul that is found worthy to receive it. But if the sun supplies as of his natural fullness, the creature is supplied. How will he not be conceived of as having glory not similar to the rest? But such as will be seen the only begotten of God, having the superiority over all as the fruit of his own nature, and the preeminence as the dignity of his Father's being. And I think that the most wise Paul too, when defining as to the nature of all things, was moved thereby to true ideas, so as hence at length to address the creature. For what hast thou that thou didst not receive? For together with being, the well-being, after such and such wise, is God's gift to the creature, and it has nothing of its own, but becomes rich only with the munificence of him who gives to it. But we must note again that he says that the Son is full, that is, all-perfect in all things, and so greatly removed from being lacking in anything whatever that he can bestow even on all, refusing diminution and preserving the greatness of his own excellence always the same. 17. And grace for grace, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Having said that the glory of the only begotten was found more brilliant than any fame among men, and introducing the greatness and holiness incomparable above all saints that is in him. He studies to prove this from those who have mounted up to the height of virtue. Of John then the Savior saith, Verily I say unto you, Among them that are born of women there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist but this so great and exalted man he brought forward but now as himself says crying and saying with a loud voice he that cometh after me is preferred before me for he was before me but since john's glory was inferior and gave place to the only begotten How must one not need suppose that no one of the saints besides is brought up to equal measure with the Saviour Christ in regard of the glory which appears in the splendour of their actions? The saints then that lived at the time of the advent, not being able to surpass the virtue of John, nor mounting up to the measure that accrued to him, will with him yield the victor's palm to Christ." If the blessed Baptist, gaining the highest summit in what is good, and having failed in no manner of excellence, receives not through the voice of another the judgment of inferiority to him, but himself sealed it against himself, speaking as a saint truly. But since it was necessary that Emmanuel should be shown to be greater and better than the saints of old, Needs does the blessed evangelist come to the hierophant Moses first, to whom it was said by God, I know thee before all, and thou didst find grace in my sight. For that he was known before all to God, we shall know by this again. If, he says, there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision, and will speak unto him in a dream. My servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all mine house. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently and not in dark speeches. The all-wise Moses, having therefore so great excellency above the elder saints, he shows that the only begotten is in every way superior and of more renown, that he might be shown in all things to have the preeminence as Paul saith. And therefore he says, And grace for grace, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. For I think that the blessed evangelist would indicate something of this kind. The great Baptist, he says, made true confession, declaring openly, respecting the only begotten. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me, for of his fullness have all we received. And let no one suppose that the only begotten surpasses John or the rest of the saints who belonged to the times of the advent, but came short of the glory of the elder saints, who were illustrious in holiness in the times before the advent. For he will see him, says he, far surpassing the measure of Moses, although he possessed the superiority in holiness as compared with them. For the lawgiver clearly affirmed that he knew him before all. John then was convicted by his own mouth of coming behind the glory of Christ. He comes short of his splendor, and there is no question at all about him, or anything to embarrass the finding out of the truth. Whence then shall we find that the hierophant Moses himself also came short of the glory of the Lord? Let the student, he says, diligently examine the evangelical grace given to us by the Savior, in contrast with the grace of the law that was through Moses. For then will he see that the Son was as much superior as he is proved to be the lawgiver of better things than the polity of the law, in introducing things superior to all those which were through Moses. For the law, he says, was given through Moses, grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. What then is the distinction between the law and the grace that comes through the Savior? Let him again see who is fond of search and an ally of good labors. We will say a little out of much believing that boundless and vast is the number of the thoughts thereto belonging. The law, therefore, was condemning the world, for God through it concluded all under sin, as Paul saith, and showing us subject to punishments. But the Savior rather sets it free, for he came not to judge the world, but to save the world. And the law, too, used to give grace to men, calling them to the knowledge of God, and drawing away from the worship of idols those who had been led astray, and, in addition to this, both pointing out evil and teaching good, if not perfectly, yet in the manner of a teacher and usefully. But the truth and grace, which are through the only begotten, does not introduce to us the good which is in types, nor limb things profitable as in shadow. But in glorious and most pure ordinances leads us by the hand even unto perfect knowledge of the faith. And the law used to give the spirit of bondage to fear, but Christ the spirit of adoption unto liberty. The law likewise brings in the circumcision in the flesh, which is nothing. For circumcision is nothing, as Paul writes to certain. But our Lord Jesus Christ is the giver of circumcision in the spirit and heart. The law baptizes the defiled with mere water, the Savior with the Holy Ghost and with fire. The law brings in the tabernacle for a figure of the true. The Savior bears up to heaven itself and brings into the truer tabernacle which the lord pitched and not man and it were not hard to heap up other proofs besides but we must respect our limits but we will say this for profit and need the blessed paul in few words solved the question saying of the law and of the Saviour's grace for if the ministration of condemnation be glory much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceeding glory For he says that the commandment by Moses is the ministration of condemnation, the grace through the Savior, he calls the ministration of righteousness, to which he gives to surpassing glory, most perfectly examining the nature of things, as being clad with the Spirit. Since then the law which condemns was given by Moses The grace which justifies came by the only begotten. How is not he, he says, superior in glory, through whom the better things were ordained? The psalmist, then, will also be true, crying aloud in the spirit that our Lord Jesus Christ surpasses the whole illustrious multitude of the saints. For who, he says, among the clouds shall be made equal unto the Lord or who shall be likened unto the Lord among the sons of God. For the spiritual clouds, that is, the holy prophets, will yield the palm to Christ, and will never think that they ought to aim at equal glory with him, when he who was above all men known of God, Moses, is brought down to the second place. And they who were called sons of God at the time of the advent will not be wholly likened to him who is by nature's son, but will acknowledge their own measure, when the holy Baptist says that he himself is far behind, of whom he that knoweth the hearts says, Among them that are born of women there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. True, therefore, is the blessed evangelist, saying that he has seen his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, that is, which beseems the only begotten Son of God the Father, and not, rather, those who are called to brotherhood with him, of whom he is first born. End of chapter 9